uh, we've been in a sermon series uh, preaching through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the next section is uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Uh, And I'm not going to unpack that for us this week. Uh, I'll save that for Paul for next week. I, I do have a question. Why didn't Jesus pray Father, help us forgive others the way you've forgiven us. But I'll let him answer that as he preaches next week. Um, In John's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his friends. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't think that we have to look very far I don't think that we have to look very far uh, to find trouble Um, trouble in the Middle East trouble in Ukraine trouble in our own homes in our neighborhoods in our workplaces trouble inside of us. Trouble often comes with pain. And I've been thinking over the last number of months, what do we do with pain? One of the things that I recognized for myself a couple of years ago um, is brilliant at age 50. I realized that I'd been walking through life not engaging things emotionally that I was experiencing. So what did I do with pain? I ignored it. I denied it. I hid from it. I buried it. And so when I realized that I'd been living life that way, I decided I need to figure out where that's coming from and what that is. And I've been in the process of discovery, of figuring it out, of understanding. And so this morning, I want to tell some stories from my own life about pain. A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was talking with my counselor, and he said, hey, you should listen to this Justin Bieber song. And I laughed out loud. I don't think I've ever listened to a Justin Bieber song on purpose before. (laughs) But now I find myself in this odd place that not only have I listened to a Justin Bieber song on purpose, but now I'm going to play it for you. (laughs) The reason that this song connected with me is because it touches on a piece of my personal pain. And the specific pain may not resonate with you, but I wonder if it will touch a place that is familiar to you. Guys, could you play the song?
The name of the song is Lonely. Everybody knows my name now, but something about it still feels strange. Like looking in a mirror trying to steady yourself and seeing somebody else. And everything is not the same now. It feels like all of our lives have changed. Maybe when I'm older, it'll all calm down. But it's killing me now. What if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me, because I've had everything, but no one else is listening. And that's just lonely. I'm so lonely. Lonely. Everybody knows my past now, like my house was always made of glass. And maybe that's the price you pay for the money and the fame at an early age. And everybody saw me sick, and it felt like no one gave a shit. They criticized the things I did as an idiot kid. What if you had it all but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me. Because I've had everything, but no one's listening. And that's just lonely. I'm so lonely. Lonely. I'm so lonely. Frederick Buchner. Frederick Buechner wrote a book called A Crazy Holy Grace. And it's about how do we engage our pain. And he suggests in his book that God invites us to steward our pain. And I'll be honest, that's an idea that I hadn't thought of before reading his book, Stewarding My Pain. I'm more used to hiding it, denying it, medicating from it. But he, in his book, takes us to Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Perhaps you've heard that before, where uh, a master has three servants and he gives each to them resources. Uh, One a larger amount, one a lesser amount, the third a lesser amount. And he uh, calls on them to steward those resources. And if you recall the story, the first one stewards the resources quite well and doubles the resources, and the second one does the same. But the third one buries the resources in the ground and, and says to the master, I knew you were a tough master, uh, getting a return where you haven't even invested. And I was afraid, and so I hid the resources. I hid the talents. And what Beekner suggests is that perhaps those different talents, those different resources can be looked at as simply as things that the world gives us. And the world gives us some beautiful, wonderful things, but the world also gives us troubles. And he says the master is indeed a hard master because he expects, even when the world gives us troubles, to steward those troubles well, 
to steward that pain well. And if you remember in Matthew's telling of that parable, uh, what happens to the one who buried the resources and didn't do anything with it, but the master takes those resources away and gives it to someone else? And Beekner suggests uh, that that's perhaps not the master being cruel, but that that's the law of natural consequences. That when we don't steward our pain well, when we hide, when we deny it, when we try to medicate it, when we bury it in the ground, then our lives diminish. And it's simply a natural thing. So this morning, I want to share briefly three stories from my own life. The first one is called, When I Was Born. The second one, What's in a Name. And the third one, God Plants a Seed. Life was hard for my mom and dad when I was born. I think mom was 21 and dad was 22. They'd been married just for a couple of years and they'd moved from Port Angeles, Washington down to Salem, Oregon, so my dad could attend college. He attended college for half a semester and he got pretty sick. He missed a lot of school and felt he had to drop out because he was afraid he couldn't catch up. As my mom talks about that now, she says, I don't think that it was really about being afraid that he wouldn't catch up. I think he could have. I think he was afraid that he would never be able to live up to his father's expectations. And so he hid. After he dropped out, he was unemployed for quite a while. My older sister is 15 months older than me. So my dad's not working. My mom has a newborn, my sister. She's working part-time at a men's clothing shop. Mom and dad made, probably dad, made some pretty uh, unwise financial decisions. So they were in debt as well. Dad finally got a job, but he was making whatever minimum wage was back in 1971. If one of my dad's core wounds was you'll never earn your father's approval, one of my mom's core wounds coming from her family was, life's tough, suck it up. She came from tough Montana stock, where you just make do, and you get things done, and you handle it, and you don't talk about your feelings, and you don't talk about your emotions, and you don't talk about your needs, and you don't talk about your pain. When I was born, mom had to stop working to care for two young kids. 
mom and dad stopped going to church after I was born. They didn't have any friends initially in Salem. Bill collectors called. And so my mom answered the phone to bill collectors. We don't have the money. We don't have the money. She told me that she remembers being upset that divorce wasn't an option because God said it was wrong. She said, if I didn't feel that way, that's probably what would have happened. And so as a result, my parents didn't have the capacity to give newborn me the emotional care that I needed. As a result, the way I describe one of my core wounds is from an early age, I have felt all alone. As I began working on this question, why have I experienced things throughout the course of my life without being able to engage them emotionally? That was when I first realized a year ago that that's the way I've lived my life. So I've had this pain and I've had this wound and I've been acting out of it without even being aware that it's present. And it's caused a lot of damage in my life, but even as much to the people in my life. Because if you feel all alone and you act like you're all alone, you will make decisions and you will do things that hurt other people. So... I was asked once, how do I think my parents would respond if I asked them to give me something that felt important to me? I couldn't even imagine asking them. There wasn't the sense that they would say yes or that they would say no or that they would be upset with me or they would be happy I asked. I just didn't ask. Stephen Heath Six weeks ago, perhaps, I was going through a season of frustration with some stuff in relationship to my work. And he asked me this question. We were sitting at a baseball game for his kids, Nate's kid. And he says, Rand, how do you pray about your job? What do you ask Jesus for in respect to your work situation? Stephen, I don't know if you remember my answer, but my answer was, I don't know how to answer your question. And what I realized a few days later was that I talk to God a lot, but I don't often ask him for things, especially for myself. And that's living out of that woundedness of I'm all alone. What a tragedy.
What's in the name? Those of you who have shown up to our church family in the last year, a year and a half, have known me as Rand. Those who've been around longer have known me as Randy. Randy is the name that I've been called my whole life. And a year ago, in October, I told some people, not for the first time, that I don't really like my name. One of the unhealthy ways, starting as a young boy, that I looked to meet my emotional needs was with an improper treatment of my body, engaging in pornography, and an unhealthy relationship with food. And in both of those things, it's a form of hiding, it's a disconnecting from my pain. I look at those things as a response to trauma that causes trauma. It's a response to pain that causes pain. It's a response to brokenness that causes brokenness. And the same thing can be said of alcohol or drug use. The same thing can be said of compulsive shopping or of work, workaholism. The same thing can be said of, of checking out by watching Netflix for hours on end. Responses to pain that create pain. But in my particular storyline, my name was connected with that pain in a particular way. If you look up the meaning of the name Randy, it's from the English, and it means horny. And you connect that with the story of my pain and some of my personal brokenness around an unhealthy relationship with my body, perhaps you can understand why that name was always hard for me to hear. I remember years ago asking my, my parents uh, why they chose that name for me, hoping that there was some glorious meaning and story behind it that would perhaps redeem the name Randy for me. And they said, nah, we just kind of liked it. That didn't help. October of last year, I was in South Carolina. Uh, I was doing an intensive retreat, engaging some of this stuff, telling some of these stories, told them about my relationship with my name, and they suggested that I should perhaps think about changing my name. And I had thought about it before, and it seemed like too drastic a thing to do. That's just silly. but I told them I would think about it. So I called Anita that night, told her about the day. And I told her, they said I should think about changing my name. And with tears, 
She said, the idea of you changing your name is so hard for me because you are Randy and I love you. But if you feel like changing your name is for the best, I'll support you. And either that's one of the more powerful blessings that has ever been spoken over me. Thank you. Even before I talked to Anita, I, uh, I decided, and I told her this, I won't change my name this weekend because I'm in a very emotional place and I don't want to make a decision based on those emotions. And the second thing I said is, I won't change my name unless first I don't have to. Because it felt like if I just changed my name, it would be another form of hiding unless I didn't have to. And over the next number of months, actually number of weeks, it was, it was weeks, I came to the place where I made the decision to invite people to start calling me Rand instead of Randy. Rand actually was my wife's suggestion that night on the phone. She asked if I'd given any thought to what I might change my name to, and the only things that I had thought of to that point were, were ones that wouldn't work. And she said, well, I've always liked the name Rand. So I went and I looked up the meaning of the name Rand, and it has three meanings. It means alongside a stream. It means a sweet-smelling tree. And it means wolf shield. Wolves are not lonely creatures. They run in a pack. And so even immediately that night, before I made a decision, simply the meaning of Rand versus the meaning of Randy, I was like, yeah, that's a lot more attractive to me. But before I made the decision, I came to the place where I don't need to make the decision. God reminded me that I name my name, my name doesn't name me. And so I could have continued going by Randy. And if you call me Randy, either because you desire to or you simply forget, that's fine, because Randy has been blessed. But I made the decision to invite people to start calling me Rand as a means of stewarding my pain though I didn't have that language for it at the time. Because for the rest of my life, I will remember why I asked people to call me Rand. For the rest of my life, I will be reminded of the healing work of God that he's doing. But more than that, or as much as that, I will be asked by people and I'll be invited to tell my story 
And it can be a bit of a hard story for me to tell. But each time I tell it, I'm blessed. The third story, God plants a seed. When I was 25, 26, probably 26 years old, we were living in Salem, Oregon, and I was invited by the church I grew up in in Port Angeles to come and be the speaker at a week-long summer camp for their high school kids. And I don't remember a lot about what I spoke on that week other than Moses was involved. And there was a particular story or a description of Moses that captured my imagination in an incredibly powerful way. In the book of Exodus, I think it's chapter 30 or 31, the relationship between God and Moses is described that Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with a friend. The idea of friendship with God blew my mind. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing the stories. I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up loving him. But friendship with God captured my imagination in my heart in an amazing way. It became what I referred to as my Solomon prayer. King Solomon, when he entered into his kingship, God offered him uh, one request, ask whatever you will. And if you remember, Solomon asked for wisdom, that he would have wisdom to lead these people that God was appointing him king over. And I have always thought that Solomon was quite foolish to ask for wisdom when he could have asked for friendship with God. I was listening to an audio YouTube thing of Dallas Willard passed away several years ago, a great writer in spiritual formation. And he said the same thing about Solomon. It was the first time I'd ever heard somebody agree with me that Solomon was a fool for asking for wisdom when he could have asked for friendship with God. For 20 some odd years, I continue to offer that prayer to God let me experience friendship with you. And I didn't feel like it was being answered. And yet the prayer kept bubbling out of me. Until several years ago, three or four now, I spent a nine-month period with a group of other people doing the Ignatian exercises, praying through the life of Christ. An hour a day, five days a week. And I remember
we were meditating on sin. We spent a couple of weeks praying about sin. I'd never spent such concentrated time thinking about sin. And at one point, I remember praying, recognizing that my wife is the person that I have sinned against most often and most deeply in the course of my life. And so I asked God, what do you feel about my sin against my wife? And I asked each member of the Trinity individually. First, I asked the Holy Spirit, and he was quiet. And I asked Jesus, and he was quiet. And then I asked the Father, how do you feel when I sin against my wife? And the sense that I had felt so real that the father came up to me and he wrapped me in this huge hug. He's about this big. And I tucked my head into his shoulder. And his face was past my ear. And he roared in anger at my sin while he held me in this embrace of love. Never have I felt so safe. Never have I felt so loved. And in that and in other things in that Ignatian retreat, I've begun to experience friendship with God. And what I just realized while I was preparing for this sermon in the last week is that at age 26, when I didn't realize that I was living out of the pain of being all alone, that the Father was planting the seeds of my healing by planting this desire for friendship with him. He was planting the seeds for my healing before I even knew I was wounded. He was planting the seeds for my healing before I even knew I was broken. He was planting the seeds for the relief of my pain before I even knew to acknowledge that my pain existed. When I, last Christmas, I met with my mom and two of my three sisters at a restaurant and I told them this story and others of feeling all alone and the pain that it's caused and acknowledge some of the pain that I'd caused them 
after talking for a couple hours, I got up to use the bathroom, and when I came back, I'd been doing all of the talking pretty much up to that point. And one of my sisters said, Rand, as soon as you left the table, mom's first comment was, I thought everybody felt all alone all of the time. So I would guess that there's perhaps people in the room who feel all alone, even in the midst of good friendships, even maybe in the midst of a good marriage. But I also am sure that there are people in the room who don't feel that particular pain. But I would suspect that perhaps there's some core wounding that you carry. And maybe you're aware of it, and maybe you're not. And I believe that the Father God has planted the seeds for your healing already. That he has planned for your health and for your flourishing already. There's some healing that God does instantaneously. Other pain he grows us out of over time. This sense of being alone, that's pain that God is growing me out of over time. I haven't grown out of it yet. But the seeds for my healing have been planted and they are growing. And that's the God we serve. So, real practical, a few things that have helped for me. One, not to compare my pain with others. There are some of you who hear that and say, man, I haven't experienced anything that bad. And there's others that say, Rand, that's nothing. You should hear what I've gone through. My sister lost her oldest son at age 18. Um, He drowned. And uh, people used to come to her and say, hey, I've never experienced anything like the death of a child, but and they would tell her their pain of sorrow and loss. And she said, I began to tell people, don't compare your pain to my pain, because when you do, we miss each other, and we miss God. That's a gift that has helped me to engage this for myself. Telling the stories has helped. Allowing people to bless me has helped. Dallas Willard says, we all need to be blessed, but most of us won't sit still long enough to let other people bless us. Anita has blessed me. Many of you have heard these stories, and you've blessed me. Many of you have come and asked me, what's the deal with the name Rand? And that blesses me. Working with a counselor has helped me. Treating my body well helps me. There's a song by Crowder 
called God Really Loves Us. I'll get the lyrics a little bit wrong, but it says there's a friend who's closer than a brother. God really loves us, it says. And then it says, hallelujah, we're not alone. In that passage in John 16, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, he goes on to say, but don't despair, for I've overcome the world. He's overcome our troubles. But in the verse before, he's laying out all of these things that will happen to him as he goes to the cross, and he's telling his disciples that they're all going to abandon him. And you know what he says to them? He says, but don't worry, because I won't be alone, because the Father will be with me. When I was preparing for today, I asked God, what do you want for your people? And I heard one word. He said, freedom. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I think that the next, the the most important step in your journey is always the next step. And so I want to close by reading from Isaiah 61 to you. But as I do, I want to invite you, as you're listening to this uh, passage, uh, I I want you to uh, ask the Spirit, is there a next step for me? Is there a story that I need to explore? Is there a story I need to share? Do I need to sit still long enough for somebody to bless me? Do I need to find a counselor? Do I need to ask someone to pray with me? The most important step is the next one. Close your eyes, if you will. 11 verses from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. They shall build upon the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with jewels, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, 
So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all of the nations.